You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians, the pitching trade edition of the show. I hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Rogelio from Wednesday. I'm going to have uh, Sully from the flagship MLB podcast on for next Wednesday. I am on the road a bit here. I know. I probably shouldn't be. I'm only going to see very specific people that have quarantined hard as well. And you can chide me about it later. But because I am on the road, if anything does break, uh, I'll do a special edition podcast. Otherwise, if it's something minor... um, and I'll probably record if the Indians do anything, let's be honest, because I can't help myself. But some of the minor stuff out there, I feel like, why didn't Jeff talk about that? That is why. So let's start talking these deals. Let's start with this U Darvish deal. I think it's fair to talk about the three big pitching acquisitions that have occurred for San Diego, uh, comparing it, of course, with the Clevenger deal. So the Darvish deal is a different animal, let's be honest, than these other two. He Most places are saying that he's owed $59 million. That is not true. He's actually owed, I believe, $62 million. Uh, the top three finish in the Cy Young was an escalator in his contract, so he is owed $62 million. We do not know how much Chicago is sending back his way, but it certainly seems like this Darvish deal is a salary dump. Now, adding Darvish at the cost the Cubs added him was always a bit of a head-scratcher. Let's be honest. Uh, you're talking about a guy who is currently 34 years old, um, will turn 35 in August, so turns 35 this year and still has another three years left at $20 million a year on that contract. And why was it a head-scratcher? Well, I mean, they gave him a seven-year contract, which is always uh, a lot to give any pitcher for a guy who had topped 200 innings once in his career since he had come over to the big leagues and was coming off a, you know, a disappointing season, if we're honest, that year that he got traded from the Rangers to the Cubs, Rangers to the Dodgers, I should say. Uh, he wasn't very good. He was okay. Uh, and then his 2016 had been another shortened year, and he had had problems with health. Now, uh, he came over in 2018 and pitched all of eight games, and that was a very disappointing season. And then in 2019, second half was great. First half was not. Like, he looked like one of the worst contracts in baseball, really responded, and then was, I mean, one could argue that this past season was his best season. Now, it was only 76 innings, but he was stellar for all 76 of those innings. But again, Will turn 35 next in the middle in toward the end of next season, and you're getting him for 35, 36, 37, and he is owed uh, over 20 million a season. So that is a lot of money to add. And again, we'll see how much they are sending back. Zach Davies going the other way uh, is, I think, projected to make about seven million. So they the relative uh, it's about a 14 million uh, increase for the uh, the Padres. In terms of overall salary between the two players. And let's just be honest about Zach Davies. Zach Davies is a really underrated pitcher. If we go pull him up, he was on pace for a 1.4 war. Or I'm sorry, he had a 1.4 war last year. A year before that, 1.6, 1. 1. or 0. 0.5, 2.7, 2.5. Like he's a good 4-5 type. Does not miss a lot of bats. Doesn't hurt himself with walks. Can be a little home run prone. But he's a solid back end mid rotation type. And he'll slot in as a 3-4 for the Cubs. He's not a bad player. He is not a throw-in. He was there, though, to balance salaries, if we're being honest. 
he did represent some value, and the Cubs could flip him as a rental at a later point in time. He is in the last year of arbitration. Uh, this is a team that looks like they are um, in full rebuild mode and heavy rebuild mode. So Davies could get flipped. And if you're curious just about, in general, things like FIP and such with like Darvish, his first two years in Chicago was over 4, 4.86 and a 4.18. This year, 2.23. I, like I said, all the indicators were fantastic. Uh, he's a great pitcher. And I wanted to pull up the San Diego prospects um, before the season began prospect list because they've traded so many players. So just to kind of look at this and know that, you know, these rankings are not up to date, obviously, because it's from before this season. But a lot of guys uh, had massive changes to their valuations. When you look at the guys from this trade, um, uh, Reginald Presidio was 15th in system, one spot ahead of Gabriel Arias, by the way. Uh, Owen Cassie isn't even listed because he was drafted this past year. Uh, Yeoseni Ye- Ye- Santana was eighth ranked, but then he was lower ranked uh, on most most recent lists. So his stock was down a little bit. And I'm trying to remember who the fourth player was. But, you know, if we went to the MLB list, I can tell you just, again, it's good to look at these as comparison points. I don't know the Padres nitty-gritty well. Uh, The players that got in this on the most recent MLB list were like 11th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Um, Three teenagers and a 20-year-old. And, I mean, I'm a big Owen Cassie fan. Um, I believe I talked about him on the podcast leading up to it, if nothing else, on my draft content. High ceiling guy, um, big plus pop potential, I think, in him. I think, he, you know, 65 potential power. Uh, better than you think athlete, runs pretty well. But, I mean, he hasn't played a game yet because of this past year's draft. Uh, it's a risk, risk, risk trade. I mean, they went for all upside in this one, all players that are extremely far away. I mean, that just strikes me as... Uh, they're going to sell that team. I mean, not the ownership, but I mean, eh, so many, by, let's see, Baez, Bryant, all of those guys are approaching free agency. And I'll have to see if they can get, you know, salaries down, if they can get higher draft picks, if there's going to be some valuation and offering arbitration. But I mean, that's, you want to talk about, you know, we discussed some of uh, the market for, uh, Francisco Lindor. I mean, Baez could also just as easily be out there right now um, because it looks like the Cubs are tearing it down. Uh, they are. They have so many players who are going to enter and be free agents at the end of the year. So, I mean, looking at the return here, obviously this is not a great return because a lot of their value was getting that contract off the books for a guy who was in his 30s and has pitched 200 innings once. Uh, There's health concerns, there is age concerns, there's a lot of money owed, and I'll be curious to see what the Padres, uh, what money, I should say, the Cubs send. But the Padres sent a lot of just, I mean, they sent four guys who, three are teenagers, one is 20, and these are the type of guys where, yeah, it could work out. I mean, there's always the Jamie Shields for for, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. deals, but you're not you're getting nothing that you know you can count on outside of Davies and Davies is very much a flip candidate for them. So the Snell deal. Should we compare Snell and, you know, what the Indians got? I mean, these are more comparable deals when you're looking at Snell and Clevenger in terms of team control, in terms of um ceiling, in terms of uh, you know, just general concern with those players. Snell uh for his brilliance is 
I don't want to say he's necessarily overrated. I don't know if he's really... Clevenger presented as an ace at points. Let's be fair. Uh, Snell, his highest war ever was a 4.8. That was that Cy Young year where he won uh, those 21 games, uh, 180 innings that year. Other than that, his next highest innings was a 129. He has had issues with health. His control has been okay. His home run rate jumped up this year. He misses a ton of bats. The FIPS are solid. I mean, he is like a really, really good number two. I think he's... I don't think he is currently one of the top 10 pitchers in either league he's in. Um, I mean, okay, that's not fair. He's not top five. Let's put it that way. He's probably in the top 10. Uh, and you might say, well, you know, there's a very, uh, the, the Rays have a approach and that's why he can't get a higher war because he just can't get a ton of innings. Uh, he only had 50 innings this year and that brought his valuation down a little on that end. And that could all be true and we'll have to see, but... He also just hasn't been healthy. And much like Clevenger, uh, there were there are some health concerns which pushed him back. There's some inconsistency concerns that push back his value. And he does have, you know, this great team-friendly contract, five years, 50 million through 2023, which when you're looking at Clevenger, you're getting him for 21 and 22. And I can't remember if he was for 23 as well. I'd have to go look that up. So... At the point in time these players were traded, Snell probably had, I mean, I, I feel like they're equal value. Like you might say Snell has more value. I just got to go see that free agency year on Clevenger, confirm one way or another, because that does have a significant impact on this comparison. So Snell does have one more year of team control, which is a significant value. And even on his, when you're looking at it, the, the rate at uh, his cost is probably cheaper than Clevenger would have been in his final year because he would have been in for a big jump. Yes, Clevenger would have been cheaper in 2021, but in 2022, uh, he would likely would have been more expensive than Snell, and then Snell has that whole other year of control. So before I get into the Snell package, let's have a chance to talk about our fantastic sponsors. BetOnline.ag. Are we ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and we have the final week of the NFL regular season. Pick The playoff picture is becoming... Uh, clear as mud, which makes it a perfect time to, to go out there and bet on those games. If you have insight and you have knowledge, and they're one place that has you covered and the one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. You know, this week for the Browns versus Steelers, that is a huge matchup. Uh, Ohio State in the uh, the playoff. And then, I mean, what about the Cavs and their hot start? Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in the action. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Social media. Visit our friends and exclusive partner at betonline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and use the promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Hashtag bet online. And also remember to check out one of our newest podcasts, or I should say one of our upcoming podcasts, Locked On Lineup, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Locked On Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski, start your day with all the sports you need, all the sports news you need in another 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. So as promised, and there was the so, so you know we're back, uh, let's talk about the Snell return. And the Snell return, you can... Depending on the, the whole interesting thing with the Snell trade is you can spin it however you want it to. Whatever your uh, general feel is, if you have a, uh, an axe to grind, this is a, a trade that's easy to do it because you can talk about, well, 
you know, Snell has not been the same pitcher he was during his Cy Young season. He has not pitched a ton of innings, this and that, right? You can you can twist that. And then on the other side of things, you can twist the return as this is a high amount of risk in this return. Um, so Louis Patino is a pitcher who is, um, I don't want to say, you know, diversive. That's not the word I'm looking for even. I don't even think that, you know, whatever. He's he's a player that divides people. Um, and because there are people who look at him and don't love the mechanics, and there are people who love the mechanics, but there are some who see uh, future arm issues. You know, I've just, I've seen people go out there and talk about that with him. He is a slight guy. Uh, he is not quite, you know, Debbie Garcia size, but he is not a big pitcher. So there's always going to be talk that he could move uh, to the pen. Honestly, he reminds me in a lot of ways of Daniel Espino, kind of similar build, similar stuff. If everything works out, I mean, he is, uh, Patino could be better than Snell. He could be if everything works out, but there is a high amount of risk there. And I think a better than average chance that he ends up a reliever. That's just with the build, the control in the minors has not been great. It's not been terrible. It's not been great. And you can't really take anything from his rush to the majors this year. He wasn't ready. He needs more time in the minors and he'll likely start next year in the minors for um, Tampa. He's, he's a guy who needs some more development, but there's control concerns. There's build concerns. There's, you know, viability as a starter concerns and he's a centerpiece. And yes, he's one of the top prospects in all of baseball. But it's kind of like how it was for me a few years ago with Luis Servino. We'll see. Like, I was not a Servino guy. And, I mean, I was wrong because he's pitched well. But I was right because he hasn't been healthy. It's, you know, it, it's A and it's B. And you got to figure out the risk. And there's some risk here. And then you look at Cole Wilcox, who I think is the number two piece in this deal. Wilcox is such a Tampa or type of prospect. A huge, huge velocity. Um, in fairness, you know, the, the year that, him and Kumar Rocker and the Indians took Ethan Hankins and Lenny Torres. It was a great prep arm class. I had Wilcox rated higher than Kumar Rocker at the end of the year. Uh, he might have used my number two prep arm in that class, I want to say, maybe number three. And I mean, there's just so much upside with him. He went to Georgia. And as we saw with Emerson Hancock this year, who was also uh, on that Georgia team, uh, it's not a great program. <laughs> Sorry if you're a Georgia fan. But there's a reason why they hadn't had two first-rounders since Derek Lilliquist and I can't think who else in the 80s. Uh, the last big pitching prospect was Robert Tyner, right, who ended up going to Colorado in the second round. It's just not a program that is one of the hotbeds in the SEC. Wilcox uh, did not seem to develop or really show any step forward during his two years there. And yes, part of it was the shortened year last year, who really got to show anything in 2020 in all fairness. So you're kind of betting on this guy who is for, again, a program that does not get a lot of big name recruits. They didn't use Wilcox a ton as a freshman, didn't get him out there uh, as much as I would have liked. So then you have limited exposure. He, yes, he was a third round pick, but he essentially got close to first round money. Really interesting arm, uh, tons of risk because again, college, you had two years in there where he didn't show a whole lot of uh, growth, draft eligible sophomore. So he's already kind of old compared to players at his level. And yeah, you're, you're looking at a guy who was always older than the players he played against and needs a lot of refinement. And Tampa does really well for with development. Like this is an ideal situation for him to go to. Uh, he could be great. They could figure it out. And his control is his biggest issue. 
And you can look at guys like Glass now and other ones. The same thing with Patino here, who's that's obvious. That is probably his biggest concern, even more so than his build is the control numbers in the minors. And Tampa's been able to work with guys with control issues, and they figured out not not always. I mean, Brett Honeywell, you may not remember that name, but he was, you know, as highly rated as Snell, and he's not been able to stay healthy or uh, effective when he's given those opportunities. It's not always that Tampa Bay wins every deal. Let's go back and look at you know the Tommy Pham deal. Uh, trading away Tommy Pham and Jake Cronenworth, and then they release Hunter Renfro this year. That was not a win for the the Padres. They, or the Padres. It was a win for the Padres. It was not a win for the Rays. We can't just assume they're always going to be right, just like we can't assume the Indians are always going to be right. Uh, so those are the, the two centerpieces. Blake Hunt is a second-round pick in 2019, I want to say. And, yeah, he could be a plus receiver, and he's got plus power, but the hit tool is a big question mark. Uh you know, if you buy on him, you're buying above average bat, above average defender, big power. But catchers, prep catchers in particular, but catchers in general are bigger risks than arms. Like you're buying on a guy who has had very few opportunities to show what he can do. When he was drafted, he was hurt. So he had to DH for that season, which means he had even less opportunities. Uh, And catchers, you know, nobody lost out more last year than catchers because they need those reps behind the plate. They need those reps catching guys and working on all the innate parts of catching. Hunt's one of those guys who really missed out. He's an interesting player. I saw some places that considered him one of the Padres' top 10 prospects. I think I saw that like Fangraphs was going to put him in their top 100. I mean, I assume they still will. But again, huge risk. Catching is a risk. And guys, you know, with the time missed, and that's there. And lastly, Francesco Mejia. So you've heard me talk about him many times. The reports on him in the minors were very negative. Let's just lead with that. Um, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, and if you get beyond that, and like, I've been very honest with what I've heard. You know, I talked about how Clint Frazier didn't like dealing with double-A media. And I get that because, you know, it's it's not the important media. It's like, what do I really bring to Clint Frazier? Nothing. I'm not going to help his profile. I'm not going to, it's not going to be part of the fun back and forth. I can understand a player who gets annoyed by that. Francisco Mejia, there was so much smoke that it became startling and it became part of my evaluation on him because everything I got was a negative. Um, so you have that and that he's not a player who responded well with struggles, that when he would get into uh, a, a negative set, it would kind of keep falling apart and he would have a hard time pulling himself out of that tailspin. Well, it's all been struggles. And then if you get past all of that, uh, Francisco Mejia, as a hitter, had a potential plus hit tool, but that's all he had. And that was always the problem with Mejia more than anything else. Ignore his defense. Ignore the the concerns about, you know, character flags. He only could do one thing. It was below average power, and he didn't really walk a lot. He didn't control the strike zone. He didn't have doubles pop. He didn't, he ran well for a catcher, but he didn't run like spectacular. And that was why I was always perfectly fine with moving on from him because I didn't see a profile. He had to hit the high end of his hit tool profile to be a successful everyday player. Defense or not, like if he could hit, like if he hit at the high end of what that profile was, he'd be a starter today. He'd be in the outfield. He'd be somewhere because you couldn't keep that bat uh, on the bench. They would find a place for him, but he hasn't done that. And when you don't have any of those other supporting tools, uh, that is kind of one of those things where I think that we have the way hit tool gets judged is often incorrectly assessed because we tend to look, oh, it's a sweet swing. It's through the zone. He uses both fields and all of that is part of it. 
But you also need to look at the approach at the plate. You need to see if this is someone who's also going to bring some ability to walk. And, you know, that kept being talked that, you know, average power, average power, just it, it never came to be. And he's he's a strong guy, but he's kind of a willowy guy, too. Um, at least last time I saw him, which has been a while. I haven't been paying attention since his time in San Diego. But there wasn't a whole lot of projection for power. So, I mean, maybe Tampa can figure things out and straighten him out. And they've had a lot of success with former Indians. When you look at guys like Yandi and uh, Joey Wendell down there. So it's another Indian uh, over there with Tampa. I am not as high on him. And I know a lot of people, when they talk about this deal, were like, you know, Mejia was a former top 20 prospect. Uh, Patino was a, is a top 20 guy now. Wilcox was a first-round talent. Blake Hunt, rising value. It's all huge risk. All huge risk. They could end up getting no value out of this deal. It's very unlikely, but it could ultimately happen. And I think what's fascinating, you know, just to kind of, I've talked about the Indians deal many times, and they did. Their centerpiece, Gabriel Arias, is a huge risk. Um, I think, I mean, he's definitely would have been rated behind Patino in a deal, but I think he probably would have been rated above the other guys in most places. But there's probably some places where he was ranked, would have been ranked below Wilcox, if we're being honest, if you really believed in the profile. The Indians, though, the rest of that package is incredibly safe, and they went for Lower-level prospects that were safer. I mean, they're the antithesis of that Cubs deal. Um, both of them took some guys who are more in the teens. We should also talk about the Padres drafting guys named Owen. Owen Cassie, Owen Miller in the second round. I believe both of them were. But the Indians definitely have this approach in trades to go for safer prospects. They like to kind of, they round down and they get a bunch. You know, they go for quantity over um, high-ceiling risk. And very different. And, you know, if you're asking most people who really love baseball, like who are the best teams at pitcher development, they would say the Indians and the Rays. It's just interesting to see them diametrically opposed views when it comes to these trades and what they want to add in. One going all ceiling and the other going more safety. Snell had more value. Again, the the extra years of control means he had more value. And um, I still, I think the Snell deal and the Clevenger deal are very close. Uh, I think I still prefer Clevenger. And again, I was in the minority. Most people didn't love that deal. But I think Josh Naylor can be, you know, a 2-5 to 3-win player. I think there's value in that. I think uh, Joey Cantillo was... I'd prefer him to Cole Wilcox right now, I'll be honest. That's just how I evaluate and judge. I really think that is a profile that's going to pop. And it all comes down to to Arias. He's another huge risk. The defense, he's the top defender in the Indians minor league system. Power potential, huge. Uh, we'll have to see if he can step forward as with the hit tool or if he's just going to be one of those guys that's all tools and can't produce. Him versus Patino, I would prefer Patino. I'd still rather take that risk with the arm, uh, and the Indians have success with that type of player. That's that's not for me. But going down you know, beyond those guys, it's like I think Owen Miller is going to be a significant part of the Indians this year. Uh, I think they added interesting pieces all along the line. Uh, Quantrell could be a starter for them. I mean, he's another one. And and I think that's why I like the Indians package is, and I know, go ahead and giggle. I think I like the Indians return more just because of the depth of the return and that so many of these guys are going to be helping sooner rather than later. Whereas everyone Tampa got in this trade uh, is probably going to start the year in the minors. And I only, well, change that. Mejia won't, but uh, I've already established I'm I'm not buying on him. Uh, Tampa could figure it out. Who knows? Uh, but the rest of these guys are going to start the year in the minors and probably spend significant time there. 
We'll have to see. Uh, I thought it was also interesting. Tampa did a follow-up trade today, just right here at the end, where they traded Jose Alvarado, who's been hurt the last two years, but was their closer before that. And essentially, they had to open a spot on their 40-man because moving out Snell was one spot, but Patino and um, Mejia need to be added. So they had to open two spots, or one spot, I should say. Two guys coming in, one out. And essentially for Alvarado, he's going to the Phillies, who traded someone to the uh, the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are trading a 22-year-old uh, uh, first baseman and a player to be named later or cash. So uh, if Tampa had released him, they would have saved a little bit of money, but at least they're going to get a you know an okay prospect. Like I'm not, <clears throat> not super high on their return. It's very much a, a Dylan Paulson is a you know, a small school guy who has done well as an age, uh, being older than the the guys he's playing. Yeah, it's, he's 23 already, and as a 22 year old in high A, he had uh, in 142 plate appearances. I mean, he had a 9.23 OPS. That's that's a good number. He doesn't strike out hardly at all. Like, there's some interesting bits to him, but uh, he's just another one of those guys. They're gonna. Uh, sock away. I, I mean, I'm sorry, I was not a small school guy. I went to USC. It's just, I tend to forget about USC and baseball production, not meaning to make a slam if you're a USC fan, but I think you would even admit that baseball has not gone well there the past few years. But uh, yeah, so the the Rays are still making some minor moves, moving stuff around. They could use some pen help. I'll be curious to see what they do there. Um, you know, the pen let them down in the postseason. I don't know what they're going to add. Uh, they've now lost Martin, Martin, Morton and Snell, and they're going to have to figure out ways to make up for those losses. I mean, that rotation lost their, what, their one and their two starter from a year ago, essentially, or what was expected to be their one and their two, and they haven't really replaced them. And if I were to just kind of click back, I'm curious to see what even the depth chart looks like for them right now, um, because, I mean, that's a lot to replace. And, like, I, I believe in Tampa, and a lot of people are like, leaving them for dead already, and I think that's very silly. I think this is a team that can get back off the mat rather easily. But, yeah, see, Brett Honeywell had arthroscopic elbow surgery, hurt again. Brendan McKay had labrum surgery, so he can't get in there. uh, Jalen Beeks and uh, Colin Pochet, who were both uh, useful guys who could have been 4-5 or types or openers for them, Tommy John surgery, and uh, Yanni Chirinos, who was also a solid starter for them, Tommy John surgery. So yeah, I mean, their pitching was already, they're down five potential starters just from Tommy John surgery. They go out and make this trade. And so you got Glasnow and Yarabaw, who have been there. Michael Waka, who they just did give a little bit of money to, but has not been effective in a few years. And then Josh Fleming is listed, who... I guess it was all right last year, and I'm not super familiar with, uh, I'll be honest, and Trevor Richards. Uh, you know, it's not great. They they need to figure something out, and yeah, they have prospects for days. They can do uh, a lot of great things, but even when you look at their prospects, they're pitching, uh, you know, Nick Bitsko, the recent pick who I was high on, uh, Tommy John surgery. I'm trying to remember their return in the Nate Low trade right now, if they added an arm or what, and I'm just kind of blanking, but... I mean, Shane Baz, who they got as another player in that Archer deal, uh, is their top-rated pitching prospect, and he's still a bit away. You know, he, he pitched an A-ball in uh, 2019. They don't have 
and yes, they've been able to go out and make trades and get interesting young pitchers. They've been able to find pitching, but almost all their prospects are hitters. Um, long and short way of saying, yeah, maybe there's a world where the Indians and the Rays actually make sense on another trade at this point in time. Uh, if the Rays need some guys who can be opener types or get some inning types, you know, it's hard to not look and see like, you know, Videl Brujan, who's a second baseman, who's you know, a great, great prospect. Where is he going to play? He should be ready, you know, next season. Uh, Josh Lowe, an outfield type, should be ready next season. Yes, brother of Nate Lowe, they traded. Wander Franco, best prospect in baseball. He should be ready next season. Obviously, they're not trading him. Taylor Walls, uh, I've talked about him on this podcast. He should be ready at some point next season. And I just keep bringing all of this up because right now their bench still has, you know, uh, UC Tetsugo, who they signed from Japan, disappointment. Mike Brossi, who had that big hit in the playoffs, and Yandi Diaz are all listed as bench players. They have such depth, even right now, and they do. I mean, catching is an issue. Uh, obviously, they re-signed Zunino and they have Mejia. They think they'll be able to figure something out there. But I'm not saying you can go out and trade for Yandi Diaz back, but you might honestly be able to. Um, there's a deal, and I'll spend some time doing talking Tampa to Cleveland, trying to figure some things out. But I'm just saying, let's, let's keep that in mind. As we compare these trades that just happened, uh, I think this does in some regards, set up Tampa and Cleveland to make a lot of sense for helping each other out for next season. I have been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. And as always, go Tribe.